This is Koo, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. My name's Greg Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 33 for Tuesday, September 6th, 2011. I hope you had a great Labor Day, and you're going to love this podcast today. Now, I may look a little bit like a telephone operator today, and that's because I had a little audio malfunction just before starting the podcast, and so I'm using my backup device, but hopefully uh, you're able to hear just as well, and uh, I'll be back to my regular audio next time. <laughs> but uh, on to the podcast. Um, today, I I'm so excited because Ku actually, I got to tell you, is not a TV writer, but I'll tell you why he belongs on the TV Writer Podcast, because he is a Webby Award winner, and he runs the website nofilmschool.com. And I know for many people who watch the podcast, you might be considering film school. You might be considering shooting a showcase film. Or maybe you, you think you might want to get involved in shooting online videos, webisodes, releasing things online. And Ku is a great, great example, and he's got a lot of experience, not only with that, but also with crowdsourcing, um, with using Kickstarter to fund a project. And so these are great, great things that I think could benefit a lot of people who listen to the podcast, and that's why I wanted to have him today. Um, before I get to a bio about Ku, um, just a few resources I wanted to mention. Make sure you do go to tvwriterpodcast.com to check out the DSLR page. There is a great list of resources, including a lot of helpful books, most of which I've, I've read and I do recommend, and also um, guides to gear and video interviews and things like that that can help you get a lot of background information on how you can get started doing your own short films. Um, also, there are lots of other resources at the site, including the TV Writer Twitter database, which is past 860 writers now uh, and continues to climb. Amazing, amazing resource. Definitely take advantage of it. Um, make sure you do follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle. And for Koo, you can follow him at Ryan B. Koo. Make sure you also check out Koo's website, nofilmschool.com. It's also the home of the fabulous DSLR cinematography guide. So make sure you do go to that website and check out that free guide. It's got amazing, amazing information that can get you started. But now a bio about Ku. Ku co-wrote, directed, shot, and edited the urban western web series The West Side, which you can find at thewestside.tv, and this won the Webby Award for Best Drama Series. Filmmaker Magazine heralded the series as ingenious, low-budget, independent filmmaking that just happens to be viewable only on the web and named him one of their 25 new faces of film. Ku has shot for Focus Features, The Workbook Project, and Ralph Lauren. He has written for Filmmaker Magazine and Weblogs, Inc., and he has served as senior designer for Rhapsody and MTV. His films have been official selections at several film festivals nationwide. He was a recipient of a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, his website, nofilmschool.com, focuses on do-it-yourself filmmaking and independent creativity 
and won Total Film's Best Creative Blog Award. Right now, he is in pre-production on his first feature film, Manchild, which is being crowdsourced through Kickstarter. I urge you to go to nofilmschool.com, check out Manchild. It looks like an amazing story, and it is definitely worthy of your contribution. $10, not a lot to, to pay. As a matter of fact, $25 gets you a copy on DVD. Check it out, and let's pay it forward. But right now, you're going to be fascinated by my interview with Ku. Let's roll. This is Gray, and I'm here with Ku, who runs NoFilmSchool.com, is a Webby Award winner, and a whole bunch more. How you doing, Ku? Uh, excellent. Glad to be here. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm really, really thankful that you could join us. This is a TV writing podcast, and so you may have wondered initially why um, we're going to have you on when you're not a TV writer, but uh, I'm, I definitely want to hear from you um, how you uh, basically were able to get a great reputation very quickly through um, some really innovative things that you did. And in particular, I think this is going to be of great interest to people who want to do their own short film or webisodes or feature themselves. And, uh, and so I think it's going to be awesome, awesome to hear from you. But we always go way back. And I'd like to know, uh, first of all, where you grew up and at what point growing up did you decide that you wanted to do filmmaking? Okay. Uh, I'm originally from North Carolina. And, um, you know, I think like a lot of eventual TV writers or directors, I made a lot of movies as a kid that were just foolish shorts and I didn't think it was going anywhere in particular, um, until I got into high school and then I started doing more involved projects. And I think by the time I got to college, I knew that, uh, this is something that I wanted to do. And where did, where did you study? I went to Middlebury college in Vermont. Mm-hmm. It's a small liberal arts school, but they actually had a film major, which is fairly rare among schools of that size. So that hmm. was the reason I went there. Cool. And, and what was that film school experience like for you? Um, interesting. Uh, considering I run a website called No Film School, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't decide to continue um, and go on to grad school for film. Mm-hmm. But from a, a criticism and a historical standpoint, uh, I found it more useful than from a production standpoint. Mm-hmm. But hmm, I don't know what to say about film school. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> you know, let, let me bridge the, the topic there because um, I and I think a, a lot of what you're saying probably relates to the fact that it was a relatively small school. I think um, the bigger film schools would probably be more involved in production. Absolutely. Um, I, I had the experience of going to one of the larger film schools in Canada anyway, um, that's uh, York University. And basically, I went to four years of film school, um, mm-hmm. came out of it with, with a degree, and, and that's great, came out of it with a, with a few films. Um, one of them actually went on to win awards internationally, which was awesome, but $60,000 later. And, right. uh, and really looking back at it, there are a couple of main things that, 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 that I took from it. I mean, number one definitely was that one film in particular that, uh, that did really well afterwards. Awesome, awesome stuff. Number mm-hmm. two, I met some people there that I continued to, um, to keep in touch with. And most of my jobs now come from that, that core group of people. Absolutely. And then three, I learned a few things 
that I could have learned from a book and trying myself. And, right. and I know that right now, and, and this is not to insult the film schools. I mean, definitely, uh, if you go to uh, one of the bigger ones and more expensive ones like USC or UCLA, there are more things that they can give you uh, or NYU because they can actually get you into the industry in those cities, which is awesome. Um, but if I were to go back and do it now, I would probably spend about a thousand bucks on every kind of book I could order from Amazon.com and read everything I could about all all of the technology and techniques and that kind of thing. I would buy myself about five or six or ten thousand dollars worth of gear, mm-hmm. and I would just go and shoot stuff, and I would network to get networking connections. I mean, I'd, I'd go to networking events and, and, and I'd reach out to people and, and that kind of thing to, to meet that need. But I, looking back now, I think that I could actually learn more on my own than what I paid $60,000 to learn. And I would produce more content uh, in the same amount of time. What, what do you think about that? Right. No, I mean, that's exactly what, uh, that's the reason that no film school is named as it is, is because uh, I think film schools changed a lot since, uh, for example, the seventies when you had to go in order to get access to film equipment to mm-hmm. shoot on 16 or 35 millimeter. And every movie back then was not available to watch streaming or on DVD. And, you know, you couldn't go to amazon.com and find somebody's list of best film textbooks and just buy everything there. You know, mm-hmm. it's much easier to self learn now. And, uh, you know, if you paid 60 grand for film school, a lot of the best programs now are, are two or three times that now. Yeah. And uh, if you feel like you're artistically mature to the point where you could make a very involved short or even a feature, then, you know, 200 grand, maybe it's better off invested that way. Now, I'm not, no film school is not named that because I don't think any, it's not that I think no one should go to film school. Uh, it wasn't the right choice for me. And I, I thought that, you know, to go out and live my life and figure out what I wanted to say about the world was a better approach for me as opposed to, to, um, continuing to study in a classroom. But, uh, certainly the, the shooting tools are much cheaper and more available than they were before. And that definitely changes the equation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even, even while I had free access to equipment back in the early nineties, it cost $10,000 to make a 10 minute film. Right now, I could make a, f- a film that is far greater quality than that for virtually nothing with the equipment that I already have. Absolutely, but as you said, you know, you did get some things out of it in terms of uh, the networking, the connections, and, and those kinds of things have been something that you know has maybe been lacking in my career because I decided to go this route. So mm-hmm. it's certainly pros and cons both ways, but. Um, you know, you can learn a lot on your own. And if you don't have the money for it, you know, there's certainly uh, no reason to to break your back with student loans, I think. Um, if you can just go out there and spend a few thousand bucks on a DSLR and some equipment and go out there and, and try your hand and, and you know, learn by uh, learn by doing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And um, and obviously, if they, if you have to know your own character. I am definitely a self-starter. I'm a very self-motivated person, and I can I can learn things and do things on my own. 
not everybody's necessarily like that. And it's, it's not a bad thing if you're not like that. Some people, um, need to have a more structured kind of learning environment. It's not right. a game that that's, that's bad necessarily, but I, I think all of the things that you do get from film school, you could get elsewhere for a lot cheaper. And, uh, and I know even say, for instance, the experience of workshopping and that kind of thing. There, there are groups that you can, I mean, you can even form your own group. You just make an ad on Craigslist and say, Hey, do you want to just go shoot some stuff for fun? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you can, you can build relationships and get practice and not have to, you know, pay $600 for, for that course. <laughs> so anyway, um, back, back to your website then. Um, tell me why you started that website and what you hope to offer and what your experience has been through, through the running of that site. Okay. Uh, I originally started the website in 2005. Uh, it was actually just a personal blog then. And my goal was to get myself from North Carolina to New York. Um, and long story short, the website actually allowed that to happen. I got hired as a designer at MTV. Um, and that was what allowed me to move to New York. But then, sort of a long story, but, but to keep on the, the website topic, in the beginning of 2010, I decided to relaunch the website and make it less of a personal blog and more of a site, uh, a site about the kinds of things that I had learned along the way that, you know, basically what I would have wanted to tell myself a couple of years ago. And, uh, so I decided to make it sort of a daily updated website about, um, shooting and editing and, and distribution and, and just independent filmmaking in the 21st century and, you know, how it's changed from, from maybe, um, what people's perceptions of filmmaking was, was, uh, a decade ago. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's, it's a daily updated website and, um, it's been instrumental in, in sort of building an online following, uh, that has helped get me to, to this point. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the DSLR cinematography guide. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> I didn't, think that launching a website that no one knew about was going to, uh, you know, it's not a news story if you just launch a website. Mm-hmm. But, but at the time I was researching a lot about these new HDSLRs that shot amazing movies. And it was taking me a long time to sort of figure out what are the accessories you need to turn this still camera into a movie camera and make it behave like a movie camera and, you know, record audio like a decent film camera. And so after all this time spent researching it, I decided that, you know, other people are probably doing a lot of research too, and it's confusing. So if I wrote the guide myself and, and made it organized in terms of, uh, telling people, you know, from chapter one to chapter two, the things that you need to know, that that would be something, if I gave it away for free, would, uh, help get the website on people's radar mm. as opposed to just starting a website from scratch. Um, so, you know, I decided to write this thing. It's like 114 pages or something. Um, but just by giving it away for free, you know, hopefully, I hope that that would attract uh, an audience. Oh, and I, I certainly, I mean, that's how I found your website. Great. Um, and I really, really appreciate that guide. And, and, uh, and I would, I should stress if there's one reason to, to visit nofilmschool.com, it's, it's to get that guide. And, and, uh, if you want to know, um, how to get started, there's great, great tips in, involved and it's free, which is awesome. Um, and so, and, and, and just, we should probably, have an aside for a second and, and acknowledge something. And that's that there is a huge reason that people are so excited about these HDSLR cameras. And, and that's that. And, and I, and I can relate. When I went to film school, 
um, the, the most coveted equipment were the film cameras. And it was something that you just couldn't get elsewhere because they were way, way, way too expensive. Right. And so to get the quality that you needed to get into the film schools, et cetera, I mean, film festivals, you had to have these great cameras. And, um, that was t- almost 20 years ago. And it really didn't change for about 15 years because right. there, there were, Rally, relatively inexpensive camcorders. There were the DV camcorders. Then there were even camcorders that shot high definition video and you can get them for under a thousand dollars. But the quality that they shoot, even though they're called 1080p and they're called all these things is not the same as what you see on screen on TV. And it's not the same as what you see in on, on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the primary reasons is the lenses. The lenses are um, very, very low-grade lenses. Another reason is the sensors. The sensors are like a third of an inch big at, at most, and, and that's even the better camcorders. And they just don't have the ability to capture the same kind of images, particularly the, the shallow depth of field that's very cinematic. And, uh, right. and so why are, why is everybody getting so excited about these DSLR cameras that can shoot video is that they can use incredible lenses and they also have very, very large sensors, which translates into much, much higher quality, much better low light ability. And also, um, that, that shallow depth of field that everybody's looking for. And so there has been just a flood of excitement about this over the last three years. And, and it, it is an incredibly new thing. And literally the impact of it, there, there was a film this year that was sold to Paramount for $4 million that was shot entirely on a DSLR camera. Right. Like uh, crazy. Yeah. There, there's, uh, there's films being shot on DSLR and released on iTunes and making two or three hundred thousand dollars. I mean, that is unbelievable. And it's, it's the kind of thing, it's, it's like, almost like the internet, where the internet gave incredible resources to the average Joe. Absolutely. It's, it's the democratization of filmmaking, which of course people have been talking about forever, but, um, the large sensors, like you mentioned on a DSLR sort of came out of left field. I don't think people expected the, you know, the, the still cameras to, to make such beautiful movies. And, uh, that's what had everyone so excited is, is not only was it amazing, but it was, uh, unexpected. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I, I heard it was even an accident. Right. Yeah. No, Canon thought it was an afterthought. And, um, but you know, it didn't take long for for people to start picking up on what they were capable of. Mm-hmm. And and literally, even to the point, of, and I was even surprised of this. Um, they're being used in in major features like um, Captain America, mm-hmm. uh, obviously as a B cam, not as their main cam, right. but still, the fact that they're being used in in a major blockbuster picture mm-hmm. um, shows that there's potential in these cameras. Or, or even on something like Black Swan, where they wanted to shoot in the New York City subway and they didn't have permits, and they just hopped on there with a DSLR and filmed Natalie looking out the window and, and sort of stole their shots that way. You know, they didn't shoot the whole film on it, but it, it's still a, a valuable device for for specialty shots, for crash cams, and that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Well, mo- moving on to what you can do, 
Um, I think one great example is your urban Western web series, The West Side. Why don't you tell me about that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the West Side started when uh, a coworker of mine, Zach Lieberman, and I, we were both hired at MTV around the same time. And um, we wanted to make a project. And we, you know, speaking of the democratization of, of filmmaking, we knew that there were opportunities on the internet. If you wanted to make quality, dramatic content, you could put it out there and build an audience and, uh, <clears throat> you know, try and do it in more of an organic fashion and just build from episode to episode. And so we, we started writing uh, the script for this, this urban Western and it took us about, from the time we started writing to the time our first episode went up, it took us about a year and a half. Wow. Um, because, you know, we had full-time jobs. We were just doing it on nights and weekends. And then when we, when we finally got to the point of casting the show, uh, we basically wrote a feature-length script, and it was divided wow. in, into 12 episodes. And so by the time we started casting the show, um, you know, it, we were thankful to be able to find actors in New York that were willing to work on nights and weekends unpaid. So it was a very DIY kind of, uh, production. And, um, you know, we were able to get some recognition for it and, and, and go from there. Uh, but you know, really it cost nothing. It had no budget and it was actually before DSLR. So it was shot, uh, you know, on even worse equipment. Mm. And, and so tell me a bit about the response. I mean, first of all, it won the Webby Award for Best Drama Series. I mean, that's incredible. And, and what else? Um, yeah, no, the Webby was incredible. And quite frankly, uh, you know, the whole, our whole goal was to bring attention to, to drama online. Because at, at, that, at that time, when we started on the project, it was 2007. And I think for the most part, video online was uh, cats on skateboards. You <laughs> know, it, was, it was a lot of, you know, it was basically America's Funniest Home Videos on YouTube. Um, and so we, we saw the potential for drama. We wanted to, to call some attention to that. And when we won the Webby, it was actually, I think the second time there was a Webby for best wow. drama. So it was still early in the process and we were up against, um, lonely girl 15, mm -hmm. which was, you know, on the cover of wired magazine and had millions and millions more viewers than we had. And, and we had only gotten through, uh, three episodes at the time. Wow. So, so we, you know, we were happy to be, we were happy to be nominated and then winning it was, was unbelievable. And, um, we were also selected as, as two of filmmaker magazines, 25 new faces of film. And, uh, that's kind of, we got an agent at UTA and that's wow. sort of, um, you know, this DIY production is what kind of launched us, uh, got our foot in the door as it were, as it were. Wow. Wow. And so from that, you obviously got a lot more work. Uh, what kind of work did you, did you do? Well, it was interesting. Um, that's what allowed us to quit our day jobs, but our agent didn't feel that the West side being an urban Western where you couldn't, you know, uh, at the time, most of the online stuff was, was product placement. That's mm. what we was paying for it. Cause online advertising wasn't at the point it is now. And because we had created this alternate black and white universe, where we shot a Western in New York city, there's definitely no brand integration opportunities. You know, mm. <laughs> our, our main character couldn't be walking down the, the, the street with a Sprite in his hand. So our agent didn't feel it was very commercial. So he wanted us to come up with a, uh, with another project that was, um, you know, more viable online. And so we came up with it. We came up with an interactive project and we ended up writing 
the, the full script for it. Again, it, it was episodic, but it was actually, um, there were multiple storylines taking place at once. So it, it was a lot more writing. Um, the script that we had written was 145 pages. And if it, if it were to get made and the project has still not seen the light of day now, but if it were to get made, the script would probably actually be about 500 pages. Uh, so, you know, the West side got our foot in the door in that sense, in terms of getting us meetings and going out to LA and, and trying to get a successive project made. Uh, and at the same time I was freelance shooting and directing and, and, uh, doing side jobs like that. Mm, very, very cool. And, uh, and so through, through all of this, you got the idea for a feature and tell me about that process, about coming up with, um, the idea for it and how you uh, thought about how you're going to implement it. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of went DIY filmmaking to Hollywood and then back to the, the micro budget scene. Um, I personally, and I'm sure all writers do, it's very discouraging to have your fate in somebody else's hands. Mm. And, uh, <clears throat> when we were pitching our, our larger project, it, it also happened to be in 2008 and, uh, the economy was falling apart and, you know, we would pitch to somebody and then find out two weeks later that that person no longer had a job. Mm. So, um, it was a, it was a very educational process. And as someone who's, who's worked really hard to, uh, shoot and edit in addition to writing, um, you know, I came back to New York and wanted to write a script that I was personally passionate about and that I also thought I could make for, uh, you know, a much lower budget than what is typically seen in Hollywood or, or what, uh, what we were asking for on our other project. And, uh, so that was, that's how I arrived at, at this point now. Mm-hmm. And so t- tell me about Manchild. Okay. So the project that I, I spent the last year writing, the, the project that I thought I could, I could do for, uh, on a micro budget is called Manchild and it's about uh, youth basketball. I've been a basketball player all my life. Um, but once I started researching the, how young the recruiting has gotten, um, it became interesting from a dramatic standpoint, not just from a, a my personal interest in the sport. And that's because, um, the point we're at, that we're at now is where 11 year olds, 12 year olds are being nationally ranked. And there's a lot of, uh, the illegal recruiting that you typically have seen on movies, uh, for high school athletes or college athletes and the, the stories that you hear in the news about this all the time, that stuff is actually beginning much younger. And, uh, dramatically, it's very interesting to think about kids who may not have a whole lot in their lives before they're even teenagers, yet they're hearing about what they could have or what they could be one day. And there's, mm. there's a huge dichotomy there and there's a lot of pressure on these kids. And so I started researching that a lot. And then, uh, you know, after several months of research, started writing the, the script for it. And, um, the script just got into, uh, IFP here in New York has an emerging narrative program in September and the film society in Lincoln center has a, a new program called emerging visions. And so when I had finished the draft of the script and applied to these things and when it got in, uh, that's when I felt like, okay, it's time to, to do, you know, some fundraising and, 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 um, post this to my website and really try and make this a movie that's going to be enabled by 
the community of independent filmmakers as opposed to, you know, one or two individuals and, and gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and just to explain, when we talk about micro budget on this level, mm-hmm. we're, we're not talking about the five or ten thousand dollars of gear. There, there is a budget to do actual feature films. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wish, I wish it were cheaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would, that would be a lot easier. Um, unfortunately, it's a sports movie. And so you have a lot of, uh, you know, logistically, you have a large cast of, the home team and the away team and multiple games and multiple gyms and the, the school and the coaches and, and the extras in the crowd. And, and, uh, you know, typically these sports movies are very expensive. Thankfully, because my movie's protagonist is 13, you know, it's taking place in a middle school gym and everything is much more, uh, everything is scaled down. Hmm. So, but at the same time, I would have loved to ha- to come out and say, okay, you know, I, I can make this movie for $25,000. And that's just unfortunately not the case. Um, so, you know, the, the budget that I'm trying to raise right now via crowdfunding, which I'm sure we'll talk about on Kickstarter, uh, is 115,000. And for, you know, for a sports movie, that's still, Oh, that's peanuts. It's peanuts. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's, that's an ambitious crowdfunding campaign. And, uh, if I thought I could make it for less then you know, I would have made the, the number smaller, certainly. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's talk about crowdfunding. Now, crowdfunding in general and also Kickstarter and how um, – well, let's start with Kickstarter and, okay. and tell me how, for your film, Kickstarter works. Okay. Well, uh, so Kickstarter is, you know, it's, it's crowdfunding. So you're looking for a small amount of money from a large amount of people as opposed to a large amount of money from a smaller number of people. Um, you know, it's more like – I think we saw the the revolution that the internet has brought to uh, political campaign finance in terms of being able to reach a much larger group of people, um, and so that's what crowdfunding is. You know, you're you're uh, you come up with rewards that you feel are you know uh, appropriate to to different pledge levels, and uh, in the case of Manchild, for example, if you pledge ten dollars to the the project, then when the film is done. Uh, you get the a download of the entire movie, so you're essentially pre-buying the movie, but you're actually enabling it to to get made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know you come up with different rewards, and you go out there and you try and drum up support in the community for your project and and make it um and make it that way. Mm-hmm. I, I I love it, and 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 you know um it on that level, it's actually really cool because I I know that there are a lot of people who would love to get involved in filmmaking in some way. Some of them do already by investing in independent films and that kind of thing. But for, for a lot of people, they don't have the kind of big bucks that would be involved in, in being able to, to become a, a co-producer of a, right. of an independent film, but they Absolutely. can be involved and, and really feel a part of, of this kind of filmmaking. I, I think it's tremendously, tremendously exciting. And, uh, and, uh, I love the different reward levels, uh, for, I guess for $25, you, you get a copy of the, the DVD. Um, and when, really when you think about it, if I were to go and buy a DVD retail, I would pay $25. If, if I were to actually go to this movie in the theater, I'd, by the time I had my popcorn, I'd be paying 20 bucks. So it's even in this sense, it's almost like you're not even paying to support the the film. You're just buying it. 
Well, you know, I also wanted, and that's true, but I also wanted to do something more unique for, uh, for Manchild. And, um, for anyone listening, if you want to pull us up in your browser, you can go to coo.co slash Manchild. Um, cause you know, you can't really talk about a Kickstarter URL. It's really long. So that, <laughs> that will take you there. Yeah. Or, but, or uh, just go to nofilmschool.com and you can get all the links there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I wanted to do something that would give people who make the production of Manchild possible that would give them something unique so that they wouldn't just get the same DVD that would come out eventually in stores two years from now anyway. And that is, um, for that budget level, if you think about a feature film, uh, 24 frames a second at 60 seconds a minute at 80 minutes long, that's 115,000 frames. So every dollar donated to the film becomes a frame of the movie and that in turn, when the movie is done, the backers will be sent the unique frames of the movie that they made. So that way they can actually see what they made possible. And that's something that no one else in the world will get. And that's something that you get as a reward for being on board with the film from the beginning. That is really, really neat. And will probably take you a lot of work when the thing is done. <laughs> well, yeah, no, you, you have to do it programmatically, of course. Yeah. You have to have a database and enter the, the you know, the, the yeah. finished film output and, and the backers and yeah. create, create it that way. You can't, uh, Thankfully, we've we've gone beyond celluloid. We're not going to be sitting there cutting up frames. And <laughs> yeah, I had that picture in my stamp. head. <laughs> yeah, um, and so wow. Well, that's that's awesome. And, and so right now, um, you're you're kind of on pace. I, I know you you said that it's not uncommon around halfway that it looks like you're lagging a bit, but then towards the end it, it picks up. So uh, I'm very very hopeful that uh, that you'll reach the goal because. Um, tell me what happens if you don't reach the goal. <laughs> um, I think you, I fall off the place, the face of the earth, and uh, I don't know. I go rethink this whole career. No, um, what happens if you don't reach the fundraising goal is you don't get anything. So there's there's a tremendous pressure on you to make the goal that you set. Uh, and this is this is true on Kickstarter. If you take a, a platform like um, Indiegogo, which is you can do all or nothing, or you can do just regular. You know, please pledge what you can, and then whatever you're able to raise, that's what you get. Um, on Kickstarter, everything is all or nothing. So you set a goal, you set a time limit, and if you don't make your goal by that time limit, then you end up with nothing, and nobody's credit card is charged, and uh, you know you go back and figure out what you're going to do with your life instead. So mm. we're a little bit, you know, they have as the project creator, you're given a graph, a graph on the. Uh, on your control panel and you get to see, you know, how you're doing in terms of how far you are on the X axis versus the Y axis and time mm-hmm. and money. And we're, we're very close there. The, the project when it launched, um, thanks to no film school readers, there was a huge launch and we got way ahead. And typically what happens in the middle, you know, you, it's hard to sustain the kind of effort that you getting out to new people all the time. So in the middle, it, it, it levels off a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's been incredible so far because, of course, when you launch this, you have no idea whether you're going to get any money whatsoever, whether mm-hmm. you're going to, whether anyone's going to donate. Um, so to be where we are now is, is incredible. And, um, you know, I just need to keep foregoing sleeping and eating and putting myself out there in as many ways as possible. And, and, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I urge every single person who's listening to this podcast, 
First of all, and don't do this for free, go to nofilmschool.com and download that DSLR cinematography guide. Read it, and I'm sure you will agree that you get as much from that guide as a lot of the books that sell for 15, 20 bucks on, on Amazon. Even if you're just paying for what you got out of that guide, I highly, highly suggest that you support this film. And also, just to pay it forward, you do this and you watch this process, you will learn from it. And, and I, I really appreciate Ku being a pioneer in this sense, pioneering the web series, pioneering, um, uh, uh, doing a film through this crowdsourcing. And so we can watch you. You get to make the mistakes. <laughs> we, not, uh, hopefully not so many, but we get to watch you go through this process and learn from it. And then later on, when we're ready to, to do our own Kickstarter campaigns and crowdsourcing, um, we will have benefited from that, that wisdom that we learned through this. So absolutely urge everybody listening and watching to, to go do that. Even if it's $10 or 25, it will help tremendously. Oh yeah. Every, every dollar helps. And, and thank you so much for saying that. Um, I think that's, that's, you know, really the idea of no film school is to, you know, for me to make mistakes and then, but at least be able to, to share the things that I learned from that. And, um, you know, I hope that no film school to date has featured things like the DSLR guide because those are the experiences that I've had and that's what I've been qualified to talk about. But I hope that by making this movie, then I will in turn be able to talk about, you know, pre-production and scheduling and directing and film festivals and distribution and all of the things going forward that I, I haven't been the most qualified to talk about. And so I, I hope that you know, if, if the no, no film school community and the readers are able to back the project and make it a reality that it will then, you know, they will be able to learn a lot more about filmmaking from, from what I'm able to learn by going through the experience of making the movie. Mm-hmm. And so as, uh, as we start to, uh, to wrap up here, um, we always end with breaking in tips. And I think uh, for this particular, um, podcast, it'll be slightly different and, I'd love to ask your tips on if somebody is interested in doing this kind of thing on their own. And I'm not talking about uh, crowdsourcing feature. I mean, that's later on. But if somebody's interested in maybe buying a DSLR and and starting to shoot some short films or showcase work, their goal maybe to get noticed or or use this as a way to break in. How should they get started? You know, I, I think we sort of already touched on that in terms of talking about how inexpensive the tools have gotten these days. Um, I think if you have a big idea that's going to require outside investment, you know, the best thing is to, to figure out if you can make a snippet of that or just scale it back or find a way where you can make this project with your friends and with non-actors or however you can in a way that no one's going to be able to tell you no. Mm-hmm. Um, because I spent a lot of time pitching the studios and hearing no. And as a filmmaker, you don't get better that way. You know, you, you might get better as a pitcher. You might get better uh, as a businessman. You might, you know, become less naive about the industry. But in terms of writing, in terms of directing and actual hands-on filmmaking, uh, I think the best thing to do is, is get a DSLR, go out there, make it. No matter how bad it is, you're going to learn, you're going to get better. And because of the internet, you know, it's, it's a, it's merit-based. If you, if you have something out there that's able to get some attention, then, you know, you can start leveraging that as opposed to 
the old way of, uh, you know, going to a studio and becoming an apprentice and working your way up over 20 years. Now, you know, get your hands on some gear and, and uh, make the best short project or web series or whatever you can um, out of your own pocket or just with a few friends and uh, go from there. And that's a wonderful opportunity that, that I think didn't exist um, several years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's some, some great examples. Uh, Steven Spielberg, how did he get started? He got started by making his own short films. M. Night Shyamalan, um, he got started by making short films. The amazing thing about a, a DSLR that you can pick up at your bo- big box store is that y- you could actually shoot a film like that, and it would actually be at a quality level that you could get into film fest- festivals with that. Absolutely. Which Absolutely. is a- amazing. Absolutely. You know, I... I uh was, was shooting in high school and I became a video producer, um, after college. And that, that span of time, you know, from, from, uh, 18 to, you know, probably 28 was spent so much time was spent trying to figure out how to get the aesthetic of a feature film, uh, with, with the cameras that were available. And, um, I was fortunate enough to win a Sony camcorder for a music video I did freshman year of college. And, you know, that was a $4,000 camcorder, but it looked like video. It didn't mm. look anything like a narrative uh, feature. And so, you know, then we started attaching all of these 35 millimeter adapters to it, and they caused all sorts of light loss. And then, so then all of a sudden you need a whole boatload of lights in order to get a decent image. And, and uh, I think people, people can sometimes get tired of talking about DSLRs, but it really is amazing in, in uh, the historical context to be able to have these really sensitive cameras that have uh, imager the size of a 35 millimeter film camera that you can, you know, make convincing dramatic narrative fe- uh, uh, features or shorts on for, for so inexpensively. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing, amazing time. And I just, I, like, I, I, I can't wait to see the kind of filmmaking that's going to come from this The The film festivals over the next year or two or three, are, I think, going to explode. Um, and we're going to start seeing a lot more really high-quality stuff going online. Um, and certainly, you're going to see a lot more of these big features using these cameras. And also, since... I mean, it was only really about three years ago that that accident happened at Canon. Mm-hmm. Um, when and, and this is getting into a bit of tech talk, but when the, the Canon 5D Mark III comes out, as it's expected to in a few months, I mean, my prediction is that's going to be a category killer. Yeah, that, that's going to be interesting. But let me ask you, as a as a writer and an editor, um, you know, ha, has this gotten you into shooting? And have you have you, you know, moved more towards the production side yourself in terms of DIY and, and, and from the from the cinematography aspect? I'm I'm getting started. I'm getting started. Actually, it's a it's a funny experience. Um, I I was working on a TV show, um, actually with uh, William Shatner, and. Uh, and we needed some stock footage for the show. And so we, we had a pretty big stock footage budget, but there was some stock footage we just couldn't find. We couldn't get the shot. And so, um, I had just bought a, uh, a DSLR. And so I thought, well, let, let me, let me go and shoot this myself. So I went out and shot the footage and I realized, wait a second, I can shoot this great 
quality footage that's going into this broadcast TV show that's just as good as anything out there on the stock footage sites. And it just got me thinking, wow, what more can I do with this? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that's when I started looking up online, got some books and read them. And, and I should mention actually, um, I've, I've compiled a, a resource of my own at the TV writer podcast dot com site. There's a DSLR page and I've got links to a whole pile of books that will help people get started it, because we're, we're talking kind of as people who have been shooting for a while. If, if a lot of this language is foreign to you, um, there, there are books that can get you caught up. And, uh, and I, I find them very, very helpful. Actually, there's, there's one I just started reading that comes with a DVD with six hours of training material. on nice. it. Yeah. Crazy, crazy value. Um, but anyway, there are lots of places that people can get, can get started. And I'll say it again, get that DSLR cinematography guide from no, nofilmschool.com. Um, very, very helpful stuff. So, uh, but I guess that's, that's it. Um, other than the fact that I'm going to be watching closely, um, to see Manchild get made. And uh, I wish you the best, best of luck, um, shooting that, that movie. I'm, I'm confident you'll make the goal and I'll, I'll help to tweet and, and, uh, and get you some more people doing this Kickstarter thing because uh, I, I think it's a very, very worthy project. Well, thank you for all the kind words and, and for having me on. And uh, I hope it's a you know a valuable experience, not just for me, but for other people who um, you know want to go the, the independent DIY route. Great. Well, so we'll wrap it up here. But uh, thanks so much, Ku. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. Uh-huh.